The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, stop flitting your bits and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 153 with guest Mark Miller, recorded live at Dev Connections in Las Vegas, Nevada, 2005. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering hands-on VBNet and ASPNet classes remotely online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASPNet web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who lives by the slogan, What Happens on a Mac Stays on a Mac, Carl Franklin. With 500 names, I call my friends to play. Welcome to .NET Rocks Live. You are actually uh, watching what we normally watch when we're recording this show, which is a multi-track uh, uh, recording uh, software called Adobe Audition. I'm just going to minimize that now because, you know, it's not all that exciting. What I am going to show you is some stuff from our road trip that we just completed. This is the last stop on the road trip. And uh, Mark actually was with us, our, our guest, Mark Miller, was with us all the way from Austin to Los Angeles. In fact, we that, drove him trip. home in the RV. That's pulled right. right up to his house. Right up to his place. Hey, um, I wanted to read this email that I got from, uh, from uh, a, a listener. This is an amazing email. Hey, dear Carl and Richard, I love your show. I like to download them onto my shuffle so I can listen while I do those everyday things dreaded by programmers. Why can't we just focus on programming 24-7, huh? Programming is so much easier when you have large amounts of uninterrupted time. Anyway, I took pride in the things that I knew that I thought no one else knew. I started my own internet provider when I was 16. Then I went on to work for some other companies doing cool things, always thinking I knew it all. Then I take a detour for a couple years to screw up my life with alcohol, heroin, and other drugs. Oh, very nice. Yeah, and now he's a DNR fan. There you go. Great. Uh, now that I've come back, I feel stupid every time I listen to your show. You always have these people on your show that actually know what they are talking about and seem to know a lot about different technologies. I've been feeling behind the technology curve ever since I got my life back on track. Until today, when I was listening to your Phoenix show and you had someone on talking about Flash and .NET web services. I realized I actually knew something he didn't. Flash actually has a web services class that works very well with .NET remoting. It's called Web Service Connector, and it actually handles most standard data types. And it's very simple to write your own deserializer. We've been using it in a Messenger-type application that runs on Windows and Mac using a Flash wrapper application. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. It even works well with binary data as .NET will escape everything, and then Flash will unescape it for you. Maybe I should blog on this topic and share it with everyone else. Your show has taught me uh, that I can't hoard the information anymore. Someone somewhere knows more about it than I do anyway. And if I share what I know, I can gain some fame points. <laughs> uh, I've been doing some other cool things with .NET web services, with web services, .NET, and telephony. Seems like the new big craze is unlimited long-distance, Vonage, Packet 8, broad voice type services. Even Comcast is offering it now. So I thought it would be cool to control a soft phone from .NET. 
I set up an asterisk system, an open source PBX system that runs on Linux, to talk to SQL Server, then got an open source soft phone IX client, IX client, and created a DLL I could call from .NET. And I had to hack it a bit to make it run multiple instances. With my newfound insight, I shared the information with the open source project. So the end result is, this is so cool. A website on different machine that controls the execution of multiple soft phones that use the Windows Media Encoder to encode and broadcast live happenings on the line. And through the website, you can control all the soft phones. And the website uses .NET Remoting to talk to the Windows service that also gets called from the soft phones themselves. This stuff is so much fun now. I used to have to write a protocol and do all the socket communication for something like this myself. Something this would be great for a remote, uh, is a remote radio station. You could control all your phone lines through a web interface. Oh, snap. What is that? Oh, snap. Is that I a- think in the middle of writing his email, he had an idea. I could make an interface in Flash to control the soft phones. That would be even better than a web page. I know you guys get more emails than you have time to read, so thanks for listening to me rant. .NET rocks, and so do you. Michael Kramer, Kramer Technologies. So that's just kind of a nice little email. We're here to talk to our guest, Mark Miller. Hey, Carl. Hi, Mark. How you doing, man? Well, uh, so we've you know we sort of talked about everything we were ever going to talk about on the road trip. I have no idea what we're going to talk about now. Damn. <laughs> Thanks, you've been great. We'll see you later. I was actually kind of dependent on you to you know, start up this conversation and all. Well, at our first conversations that we've had on the show dealt with uh, sort of the, the component-based architecture, the plug-in-based architecture, uh, a lot of the things that you've been doing with Dev, you know, Developer Express right. uh, in the graphics arena. Um, surely, you know, I know that you guys work at an amazing clip. Uh, in terms of being agile. You know, one of the conversations we had while we were traveling that I don't think you've ever talked about publicly a lot is, you know, you leave a fair, lead a fair number of developers, and, and, you know, the guys that I've met of your team, you do it pretty easily, too. It, it, as crazy as you might be, you've really got a knack for... Uh, well, yeah, well, I, for me, it's not so much I'm leading the developers, I'm just leading the, the design and the vision of it. In other words, right. I say, well, okay, you know, if they do it right, then we're good and we keep going, and... Uh, uh, if there's, uh, you know, if we're off track, then I say, okay, we've got to come back and, and uh, try to impart a little bit of wisdom. And, and products we're talking about here are Code Rush and Refactor, right? right. I mean, that's yeah. really well, your focus? Both of those, both of those, yeah. It, it's both of those, but then both of those products are built on something called the DX Core, which is a, a, an extensibility architecture for Visual Studio. We give that away for free. Right. And uh, the, uh, uh, so I, actually a lot of my focus is in the DX Core because this is, it's this engine that both Code Rush and Refactor rely upon. And right. also, there are future tools that we want to create that we want to be able to exploit. Ultimately, we'll depend and, on that core. Yeah. And that's a product that people can just download and use. That's right. So, so basically, if you ever tried to do any kind of add-ins for Visual Studio, right. this is going to make it a lot easier. Right. It's a, it's a component-based architecture, which I'm also very big on. We've talked about this in the past, but it's, you know, a lot of times, you know, we get this, you'll, you'll give a session on object-oriented design and programming. And uh, here, let me hand that you know, water there. Sorry, sure. I didn't mean to. You know, expose the background behind the curtain for all our listeners yeah, out exactly. there. Yeah, Carl's taking a drink of water right yeah, now, folks. We, so. We're not actually listening to you at all. We're, we're drinking water now. Okay. So, <laughs> what were you saying? I have no idea, man. So, I was, I was talking about how I was, you know, big on component architecture. Um, you know, I, I was watching an object-oriented session the other day, and somebody was asking a question. Well, you know, how do you, how do you keep, you know, developers from screwing it up? Was the question, right? <laughs> That's a great you question. Know? It's a you very know, how do you keep question. people on your team from messing up? And... Um, you know, you've got like the usual stuff, which is, you know, communication, documentation, discipline. Those are good things, right? Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you've got, you got, uh, you know, you got a balance. You've got an expert, a number of experts. You've got some mid-level guys and you've got some new guys. And um, we found the, the, one of the fastest ways to get new guys up to speed, uh, and actually there's another benefit I'll talk about in a second, but one of the fastest ways to get new guys up to speed is with this component-based architecture. So the idea is, is you imagine the things that you build um, they're probably things that you are extending. You've probably got some amount of inheritance that you're exploiting, and you're adding new features using this extensibility. Um, if you're not, then you kind of need to make that step first. Right. If you do have that situation where you're extending, you've probably got a situation where you, maybe you've got some events down in some central hub that you can hook into so that your, your features can listen to these events. Uh, and, uh, and, you, and, and as far as the, the extensibility, you might have maybe some virtual methods you have to override to supply some text, for example. Okay, to say this is the name of my business rule, for yeah. example, right? Well, all of those things, those events, and those essentially those 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 virtual methods that are returning fields that are essentially set once on the constructor. Right. Those things are ideal to turn into properties and events on a 
control that you drop on a design surface. Okay? And what's neat about this is that you get noise reduction. Okay? Because like as your application grows, you get more and more events, and you get more and more of these little pieces that can plug in and, and, and extend things. Uh, for example, we've got commands. And for us, for our developers to create a new command, they drop a com control on the form, set some properties, name of the command, give it a description. Uh, after it's installed in the environment, we take that description, put it in the help. So the online help is, is dynamically generated as well, right. based on what's loaded. Um, set other options, like whether it's visible or enabled, those kinds of things. And those properties can actually change dynamically, and they affect whether if there's a menu associated with it, what, how the menu is displayed. And then there are events on execute, and a few others as well. And so, then, or I'm sorry, on, on execute, I just meant execute. So they double-click the event, write the code, and they've added a new command in the environment. Now, the, since you build components, the component-oriented architecture works really well for you. Is it also going to work well for mainstream application development? I think so. Well, if, it, it really works well as your application increases in complexity. Whenever I see, whenever I see you know, applications say, okay, this is extensible, we've got an SDK, or alternatively, you know, we're inside a company, and the company's saying, okay, this is our application. It's really big. This is how you extend it, right? Yeah. And they've, they've got, okay, you've got to, you know, hook this event. You've got to, you know, set these properties, that sort of thing. Right. Usually, what the developer has to do is explore using either IntelliSense, right? Yeah. They say, okay, where's the piece I need, the object I need, right? Uh, or they have to go to the documentation. And both of those are slow as far as exploration goes, especially, and they get, they get le less productive as the application increases in size and complexity. There's more, more and more time to find those. Right, things. there's more noise, right? There's more, more events, more objects that I can grab onto. So, and, and the other thing that's, that's cool about this too is when they, for example, in the command, when they double click on that event to, to do the execute, there's an event args there. And that event args is loaded with properties and methods they sure. can call, right? So just about everything they need is right there in that event args. So they type in EA dot and they get the pieces they need. So, you know, go back to the original question, how do you keep developers from screwing up? Mm. And this also answers, this is a way to do it. And also answers the question, how do you get developers up to speed fast? Right. It also answers one other important question, which is how do you beat your competitors when it comes time to writing the core features? By right? moving faster. Right, exactly. Because the thing is, the essence is, is, is most applications as they evolve in, in sophistication, they get a, a core engine, and then they have features that make calls into that core engine, Right. So, so the features that you're writing that are competing with your competitors, they're not really so much in the core engine. They're out in the out, outer perimeter here, right? Right. So how can we make these the fastest to develop? And then the, the, last, the last piece missing is a wizard where you just say, you know, I want a new plug-in or whatever you want to call right. it. Right, and lay my framework down so for me. So you just put a design surface in, then you drop your controls on it. And As these it. things grow in complexity, do you, all, do you find it's difficult to, and, and I'm using the, the word that you're going to pick up on here, to refactor things around and move pieces out of other components that you thought, you know, you know, we're going to be in one component. Oh, it makes sense if we fork these and, or, you know, move them right. into another place. And, and does that have a, is that doable? I mean, you know, this is, you have on one, set, on, on one hand all the architects in the ivory tower saying, no, you must have all the requirements up front. You have to foresee the future. And on the agile side, you've got, you know, the, the sort of adaptable method. Right. Is it possible to do that with, without... Uh, I kind of like the debate between these two guys. So if I were to really yeah. offer a middle ground, then that would all, you know, fall, you know, fall takes away. all the fun out of it. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> it takes the fun away. So I don't get to hear these guys scream at each other. But um, uh, yeah, this is, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, for us, uh, our architecture is is really nicely designed. Um, w one of the things, I mean, there's a lot of different things that we can extend. Like we have commands, and we have like refactoring providers and text commands and string providers, and context, all of these things. So you're architecting are, for are extensibility. Right, but, the, but, but, but if you look at inside, the, the actual architecture for this, any extensible piece actually descends from one class. So if we need a new extensible piece, we just follow what we've done before in the others. Right. Okay, so, it's, 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 it, it, so for us, we don't really have that problem. If we need to add some new functionality that's extensible, um, uh, we are uh, pretty much good to go. But we have, you know... I want to take a step back and say, well, this application was built uh, after already doing, like, I think we were doing uh, the Delphi version of the product for, like, five years, I think. Yeah. And it was extensible as well. And when I started this one, I said, well, I want this to be, I knew all the mistakes I made before, all the areas that were not extensible enough. And I said, we are going to, this thing is going to be, as ex everything is going to be extensible in this. So um, uh, right now, there's two things we want to add to that extensibility, you know, that aren't, you know, mm -hmm. um, one of them is uh, for targeting, and like for example, if you're going to do a refactoring and you want to like uh, create a, encapsulate a, 
uh, a field inside of a property. Uh, targeting means where are we going to declare that property in a smart way, right? Yeah. I want that to be sensible so that an end user can say, uh, you know what, I, I want to write my own targeting plugin that's smart about putting these properties right. where I want them to the, be. The point being, my company has a rule about how we organize properties, and yes. I want that to implement. Right, and so that way we don't have to, the burden is not on us to support every single possible variation. Uh, variation exactly. Yeah. So targeting is one of those, um, and off the top of my head, I can't remember the second one, but there's, there's two, but right now the demand is not high enough, but they're on our list, right? Right. And, and internally, what we're doing is we are, we are still doing a good design internally. We have individual objects, so we have a number of targeting objects that are smart. Oh, I remember the second one. The second one is naming, uh, heuristic naming, coming up with a good name. When you right. like extract a method, how are we going to figure out a good, good name for that so you don't have to type it in? If we yeah. can guess 20% of the time, that means you don't have to type in a new name 20% of the time. Right. And you know, obviously, we want to crank that all the way up. And again, the sort of thing that companies build policy around, and so being able to implement their policy yeah. would uh, save everybody more time. I think to some degree there's a, there's a similarity between what we're doing with, with both targeting and with naming and business rules in the sense that there's, there's a logic applied. Um, in, the, in the area of, uh, of both of these, both targeting and naming, uh, uh, with any particular refactoring, there's a hierarchy of these, an order. I'm sorry, not a hierarchy, but an order, a sequential order, a priority, prioritized list. Right. So, so this naming is done first, right? We try this one. If it fails, we go to the next one. And we keep going down the list until we find one that says, yes, I can name this situation. And it comes up. So that allows the user to not only extend and create their own naming, heuristic naming provider, but it also allows them to set the order if they want to change the order. Right. And you have to deal with a priority list here. Quite often we run into situations where methods are very similarly named. They've got related behaviors, and, and so they run into each other. Yeah. So, so, so now... Now, so, so, Carl, you originally started, you know, with, you know, what's the, you know, is it possible to essentially go gung-ho, and is there a middle ground? I think was kind of the way I turned your question into, yeah. I guess. But, um, so for us, we've been, we've been lucky. Uh, I, I do know that, um, I think as of yesterday, I actually found a mistake in, in some of our code. I was looking through it, and it was a design mistake. It was a, it was a I, I don't know if I necessarily call it a design mistake, but uh, there was a situation where we had a class, and it was be, being created, and it did a lot of work, and there was another class that was kind of a cousin to it. It wasn't a direct descendant or an ancestor. It was off to the side in the hierarchy, mm. and it had to do essentially the same code inside. Okay. And so what the developer decided to do is he decided to put a little Boolean switch inside of this class. That's, you know, and, and to give you a very specific, it's for, this was for parsing uh, initialized variables. And initialized variables are very similar to constants. And, and so this is what this connection was, right? And so what he did is he put a little field called isConst. And that fixed the problem right there, right? But what, what you're doing is you're, this is, a, this is a classic mistake in object-oriented design, right? You've got, a, you, you've got right. a behavior, a class dedicated for one thing, and you can easily do another tempting thing. Yeah. to put in like a, a Boolean and a switch. Booleans are good for turning features on and off, but not for what am I, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's it. If you, have, if, you're, if you have essentially a behavioral switch like that, uh, there are two things you can do. One is you can implement the, uh, the strategy design pattern on that. Uh, by the way, another smell for the behavioral switch is not a Boolean, but a switch statement, a select statement in VB, right? Right. You know, if, 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 if I'm this, then let's do this. If I'm that, then do this. Um, so, uh, uh, so it initially looked like a small problem, right? And then I went through and I said, well, let's do a search for this is const property through all our code. And I found like a lot more hits than I wanted. And I saw a lot of places where I saw it was, it was checking to see if it was an initialized variable. And if it was, it was typecasting, then checking is const. And I was like, ugh. So, you know, this is something we got to, you know, totally clean up. What's the correct answer then? It's two separate classes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, for us, the correct answer is, at least this is what I propose, is, is actually it's three classes. It's an ancestor that has that shared parsing and then initialize constant or, you know, just constant because all constants are initialized, right? right? Constant gets moved. In other words, it's not under the other one. Right. We just have to make sure we don't break anything because, right. because we're an architecture that other people are depending on as well. Well, so. I guess that's part of the problem. You've shipped software now. You, you have to... Be legacy sensitive. Keep all that old code working. Yeah. That, now that's actually not that hard. We actually have a refactoring in, in refactor called safe rename, and what this does is it 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 essentially renames the method that you're on, but creates another method with the old name calling the new one. Right. Or for a property, it does the same thing. It just changes off. Right. And then it gives it an obsolete attribute. attribute. Right. And it also hides it from IntelliSense, so it won't show up. Hmm. So what will happen is if anybody compiles against the old, they'll get the new. Right, they'll they'll get the warning that says you know use, use the new, new. One. use the new one instead. Right, but it doesn't automatically break code. 
doesn't break code. And it's, it's really nice if you're in the, our situation, right, where you want to make a change to some public piece, you realize, okay, there's a better name for this, or, you know, I want to maybe add some parameters, but I don't want to break code, and I don't have control over the whole entire code base, right? which is, which is our situation. So as far as the, you know, the Agile, uh, you know, the, the guys that are, you know, all in favor of Agile and the other guys that are in favor of let's design everything first, um, I'm actually more kind of on the, on the Agile side of development. However, um, like, you know, one of the, the tenets that they have that uh, doesn't sit well with me is uh, don't write extensibility pieces unless, you know, you absolutely need them right then and there. And so, uh, sort of minimum code approach, right? And 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 the other thing that that I don't like either is I don't like the uh, um, what what is it? Yeah, well, it's kind of similar to that. Don't write things that you don't immediately need, right? And and part of the reason for that, the reason they have that is because they know the trend with developers is to get excited about something they're working on and to work on it, even though it may not necessarily be in the immediate True. spec, yeah. right? And so the the whole point of this is to to rein in, you know, the this, framework this builders, right? We must build this great infrastructure around, eventually, the entire app will be built on this line. Do stuff. Well, it's not only framework builders. It's also just developers who are trying to implement sure, the framework, because right? It's They're, more fun to write the stuff that sure. they want to do. Than, so, yeah. so that, to me, doesn't sit well because, for me, I feel like I have a very clear picture of exactly what I want, and I know I want the extensibility even though I'm not going to write anything to it now. Right. So, uh, so, so that's why I don't, you know, I don't follow either of these guys blindly. But I'll tell you this, I'm really not, in general, I'm not at all into the uh, let's design everything before we write code. Right. I'm not into that at all. Yeah. You, you like getting the code out, uh, out the door and figuring out how it's stuck. Yeah, because you could, I mean, especially when it comes to actual features that interact with users, right? right. The user interface. You know you're going to be wrong. <laughs> I, I've found that, like, you know, in, in, my, in my 20 years of programming, I've had, like, what I think, like, maybe seven good ideas, Right. And all of those good ideas, when first implemented, sucked, okay? <laughs> it, it takes a lot of work to take a good idea and turn it into some feature that's really, really useful. Yeah. Right. It does. That's why I'm like, well, I don't know. Well, it's sort oh. of like I, what I hear you saying is you, you want to architect, but you want to architect for flexibility and agility, Yeah. right? So, so you've put pieces in place there so the things that you have no idea what's coming down the pike later on. At least you can, yeah. you can react. About the closest it. thing I'm doing to Agile right now is with those, the example of those two uh, providers, the naming, heuristic naming provider and the targeting provider. We have not made those extensible yet. We're going to, but we haven't. So, well, Mark, uh, I know you're, you're big into user interface elements in general. As you know, I've, I've been using Code Rush and Refactor, and the thing that strikes me is that, um, yeah, there's all sorts of great things that happen it's like playing a video game and i make the joke in my talk that you should go one step further and put the sound effects in because it's just very very pleasing and very cool to use but um you're you're big on like contrast contrast of colors well and controlled contrast like controlled right? contrast to, yeah. to convey information absolutely yeah like well the classic example is okay let's draw a grid with numbers in it and let's make our background white and our lines black yeah okay in other words, you have a high contrast. Now, this is a bad example of a bad thing to do, right? In case any of you guys think I'm promoting this, right? The, the, <laughs> the, the, the problem here is, is that your lines, which do not have equal weight to the data, have essentially equal visual weight. They are right. high contrast. You want to drop those back down. So, so you want to control contrast uh, and also in other motion. Words, the things you want to draw that the eye's attention to should be higher contrast. Exactly, or, and or larger in size. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, if you're using or motion, you can, you can move them. Yeah, you can use uh, higher saturation as well. Um, the thing with motion, though, uh, well, actually, I would call motion slash animation, kind of put it in the same category. Um, there are some powerful things that you can do there. Like, let's say you wanted to provide some information to a user, but you didn't want to just, you know, stick it up in a message box. You didn't want to put it right over the center of the screen. You wanted to make it available. One of the discoverability features we added to um, Refactor was the ability to tell the user what keystrokes were available when we were creating a new UI in the code. Right, right. Like for reorder parameters, that sort of thing. How do you move the parameters around? So we wanted to bring something up. But we also didn't want to distract them, right? And so, sure. so there were a couple of techniques that we did. Um, uh, it does move up. So some might argue that, hey, wait a second, that's, you know, there's, there's a motion there and your eyes are drawn to it. Well, yes, they are the first time, but it's relatively easy to ignore. And it's less, uh, because it moves up in the manner in which it moves, uh, it is less uh, distracting than a than a sudden change, right? It, or let's I, I, say a, you got new mail message or something like that. Yeah, which yeah. is really distracting. So, I'm sorry, Richard. I was just thinking, you know, you not only bring that in gently, but it's a low contrast item. 
It right. doesn't, yes. doesn't jump out at you. I think yes, it is low contrast. And so the, the idea, and especially the most low contrast on this piece, are the, the headers for the two columns of information. We show what keys are available and the behavior. So there's a header called key and a header called uh, behavior. And those are extremely low contrast. And the idea is, is that if you need to see them the first time, you can look at them and they're high enough contrast that you can read them, but they're very easy to ignore the next and future times you see What this. I find fascinating about that little dialogue when it pops up is it usually shows up exactly when I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do next. Mm. Good. I take a couple of keystrokes, and then I'm like, um, and there it is in the corner to say, this is your choices. Yeah. Well, that's... That was the intent. That's the idea. It's, it's there to... And, and there's another thing I'm big on is self-discoverable applications. Right. You know, what these things are... I mean, there's another feature, too, that's really, really cool in, in Refactor, which is this preview hinting, where if you put a... You know, if you highlight a refactoring, it, it actually marks up the code, shows you what's going to happen, you know, while you're just hovering over the menu item, right? This is very, very cool because it, it you know, for a new user, it gives a new, the new user a sense of what is going to change, what will be affected. Um, and, and that lowers that, you know, barrier to trying something the first time, right? It's, yeah. It's similar. Both of these things are, are somewhat similar to a tooltip when you right. hover the mouse over the button. Except for with source code, because we got it right there, we can actually draw right on it, you know, do the painting, do the markup on it, cross out things, this is going to go away, we'll insert something here, that sort of thing. You can see what the changes are going to be. So, yeah, I'm big on control of contrast, you know, control of contrast, control of... of do you saturation. see anything you like in, in the new uh, UI that uh, is going into the next version of Windows in terms of, you know, what, what about transparency? I mean, people have very strong opinions on... Transparent form. Well, transparent. Now here's the thing. I've Doesn't not, it really make things more I've complex? only seen screenshots, so I really am not an okay. expert in this. I can't really say with absolute judgment. But I have seen some screenshots that, that look absolutely ridiculous. And it's, uh, the, the, the one that looks crazy to me is the one where they say, hey, look at our windows. They're transparent over the ones behind. You can see everything behind. Yeah. And, um, uh, it, you know, if you ever want to, I mean, when, when they, sort I, of like I everybody say, talking at once in a room. Yeah, to some degree room. there's a lot of noise, right? Especially if you have text over text. Right. Now, it looks like they've been careful in the screenshots to not have text over text. They have like a movie over something else. Yeah. And I did have somebody who actually saw it in live say, well, you know what they do? They blur the text of the background. So you just get a sense of what it is or something like that. So they blur one of them without blurring the other. Yeah, but it's still you know, I use that transparency feature in Trillion. Yeah, I saw and that. I, I thought you, you were insane. You're teasing me about that. Yes. I find it very useful because I do end up with text over text, but I, it reminds me of how the windows are stacked. The bigger issue that I bang into is you know the text is under there. There's just no way to get to it. Yeah, well, I think you're insane still. But, so, but <laughs> that's, that's a separate I mean, issue entirely. More, I mean, more than you, I think the menu item on Trillion, which is transparency and gives me 10 options, 10% right. all the way up, incremented 20, 30, all the way to 90 to 100. I think that's also insane. And the, you know? I mean, the reason it works for me is it. I often have, you know, six, seven, eight conversations going at once in Trillion. And it's, the transparency really helps me figure out which one I'm on right now. Okay. I don't have to look at the header. The whole body of the thing stands out. So my screen is covered in chat windows. Yeah, no, I'm still going to have you committed, man. I just... <laughs> so I'm okay with that. So let me tell you what transparency is really good for. Transparency is really good for transitions. Yeah. Okay? If really you want to show something to the user without making it a, a big jump, do it... Vary the transparency over fade time. It in, and fade it in. Right. Diluting the contrast change. Uh, exactly. Well, no, well, yeah, I guess to some degree that's what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. but, but basically we're just varying the opacity of it as we, 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 we bring it up. Uh, and I also rec recommend doing it relatively quickly. In other words, you know, what, right. what, what looks to us like, you know, oh, this would be cool if it, you know, kind of came up slow. To the user when they're using it, they just want it fast. It's an, it, an interesting truth. Of course, you look at the animations themselves, you want more time to see them. But we talked about this on another animation, which was motion. And how really natural motion is relative, that it speeds up and slows down. Yeah, yeah. this is one of the things that we discovered. We, we, we have one feature in Code Rush that it does not use, I guess, what, what I would call natural motion, which is what, what I really, what, what, you know, that term you just said, I'm going to adopt that now, natural motion. But what, what, what we mean by that is uh, it has acceleration at the beginning and deceleration at the end. And it's really, really makes a big difference. We but have, it's incredibly subtle. I mean, you're talking is, about the is. entire event is less than half a second. Well, it's only, no, hold on. It's only subtle if you do it. If you don't do it, now we have a feature that doesn't do this. Right. Okay, so we have one feature that like draws a little, uh, that we just haven't fixed yet. We haven't, I say fixed, not like it's broken, but we haven't made it with the natural motion, right? And it shows where, like, if you have a break keyword or a continue, it shows you where flow control will go. And it just moves along at a steady pace. And we give the user the option to change that speed, 
but it's still a pain in the butt. And the reason why is because you see that thing moving and you can calculate and predict where it's going to be and when it will be. And then you're immediately impatient as you watch it. Move, Hurry up. Right? Um, uh, but with acceleration and deceleration, um, you get a couple benefits. One is it looks much more natural. In fact, it looks so natural right. you don't even Think comment about it. on it. You don't even remark so on it. If I was going to point truth. to something, I would, you know, I would move my arm right, faster right. first and then right. slow it down. Right, right, right. Exactly. Right. And it's, it's subtle. Like as I move my arm around, you know, right. as we you, just move around, we don't really realize that we're accelerating and decelerating. You it's know subtle. how you see that not working is in animation computer animated movies and things like that yeah there's there's a certain amount of I, I i get the feeling that even the latest stuff today still they don't have a sense of momentum right you know like in shrek 2 there was a little bit of momentum like when shrek would stop and he would kind of lean forward but you know you often seem to just people just jump and be able to change momentum instantly right. so it really seems to me like the next yeah, no inertia you know, you know we've got yeah. ragdoll physics and we've got you know all this other stuff that it seems okay. like the next the next evolution is going to be you know momentum of each individual body part so right it seems a little more natural but um, you touch on an interesting but, point, which is that when you do this right, nobody notices. Yeah, that's the thing. That's what I was going to say. If you do it wrong, or in other words, you don't have anything, people realize, and it's, it gets, agitates them a we little bit. We have the same right? problem with audio, right? When you do it, when you do it really <laughs> do well, it, well, nobody can tell. Right. Folks, do yourself a favor and check out our friends Data Dynamics website, datadynamics.com, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for uh, Windows Forms and ASP.NET. Very nice stuff. You compile the, uh, the reports right into your application, ship them with your assemblies. Uh, has all the great features you come to expect in a reporting engine. And you can use uh, ActiveX controls right in the reports, too. So, great stuff. Uh, Data Dynamics has been an excellent sponsor of .NET Rocks uh, for a long time. They, uh, you know, they deserve a little bit of uh, your love and attention. So, go check them out at www.datadynamics.com. One other benefit to using acceleration is if you're on a slow machine, you can start off slow and then jump real fast, go, you know, it, you know image, 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 where yeah. they're separated right. by distance, right? And then end up slow, and the user feels like they saw it move all the way across the screen, right? right? And if as long as the beginning and the ending are smooth, right. and that can totally compensate for performance issues on slower machines. And, and yeah. I get the sense also that the net time of motion from point to point would be less. It doesn't look rushed. That's absolutely correct because if you have st a static speed and you've got a long distance to travel, you know, people are going to be upset. Time. They're going to be upset. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be calling you. Speaking of that, have, uh, have you had a lot of people asking you questions uh, here at the booth and at Dev Connections about, uh, about your products and about your stuff or the shows on .NET Rocks? Well, we did, we did the, the vendor area and we had a lot of folks come by there. And that, yeah. was, that was really cool. One thing, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, most people try to just avoid me because they know I'm kind of an asshole. Oh, can I say that? <laughs> I probably can't say that. Never mind. Speaking of that, um, if anybody has any questions for Mark, um, just go ahead and raise your hand and yell out your question, and we'll, uh, we'll repeat it. We'll repeat it. Yeah, go ahead. What language did you write Code Rush in? Well, I started Code Rush for Delphi, and it was written in Delphi, which is a very ele elegant language. Uh, for Pascal, it is anyway. For Pascal, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. But it was a great language. Um, uh, and then uh, uh, the the future there was not uh, was not exciting. And so I uh, I came over to uh, uh, to C sharp, and that's what it's written in. Dark side. <laughs> but I heard dark side always wins. So <laughs> so yeah. So I came over to the dark side, and I uh, I wrote it in C sharp. And uh, in general, I think C sharp's pretty good. Um, I, I love the new stuff coming out with Link. I'm excited to use that. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I still have some critiques about C-sharp, though, but they're, my critiques are kind of 
becoming less, you know, important, I guess, as uh, as time moves on. And the language continues to evolve. Yeah, it's it's like they're they're evolving, you know, way up on the on the high end side of things. But there's still some things I'd like. Like I'd like to have on enums, I'd like to be able to have static methods on an enum. Right. So as an example, like I might have an enum that has a, a number of, of different values, like that are essentially bid values, like use the flags attribute on it, right? And there might be a couple different options that are essentially equivalent, or and I might want to have a have a uh, static method that says, you know, are we in the state? Since I can't do that, what I'm forced to do is put that static method out in, you know, our shared method in VB, right? Put this static method out in uh, another class. So I, I'm forced to create a helper Same. class specifically for this enum. Right. Right? You have just have it all so, in the enum. Yeah, let's stick it all in the enum. Um, you know, that's one of the ones that I'd love to have. Uh, virtual static methods, uh, virtual shared methods in VB, I still want those. In fact, I even told the VB team, I said, I'll switch to VB today if you give me virtual shared methods. You know? <laughs> They're like, uh, I don't know we want you over here on our yeah. side. <laughs> Go away. So. Any other questions? Yeah. So... Uh, both these products, CodeRush and Refactor, are they available for both languages and yeah. uh, what versions of .NET? Yeah, they're, they're available for C-sharp and VB and for all versions of, VB, of Visual Studio .NET. So 2002, 2003, 2005. Um, as soon as, in fact, as soon as Beta 2 was out, we had versions of them. So we're really, we're like intent to have, to be right on the tail. That, that's and true for CodeRush. Is it true for Refactor as well? You oh, yeah. Well, Refactor was absolutely the case. Because, I mean, you guys know this, but, but Refactor, not everybody knows this. Actually, this is good to get out again. Um, Refactor was uh, selected by the uh, Visual Basic team to be essentially the tool of, cha tool of choice for Visual Basic developers. And, uh, and so they licensed, essentially licensed it from us, I guess, or we worked out a licensing arrangement where all Visual Studio 2005 Visual Basic developers get a version of Refactor for free. And that right. includes uh, 19 refactorings, a lot of really common ones, uh, very powerful stuff. And because it's free, I encourage you guys, if you guys are Visual Basic 2005 developers, to go out and get it because it'll make you a, a, a more productive programmer. And when you install the product, there's, an op, there's a link to go get the refactorings, and that's free. Yeah, yeah. and then the, the only difference between the, the free version and the pro is the pro's got, at this point, it's got about uh, uh, 44 refactorings, I'm told now. So, so it's the larger version. Yeah, it's but a lot more. I mean that's the version everybody's sort of aware of that VB two thousand five has got this, but you've got refactoring for VB and C sharp, yep. all versions in .NET. Right. You know, one thing that impressed me about your architecture and the way you have things designed and uh you know, it might might seem like obvious and, and even necessary now. But I was at your booth at PDC and somebody came up and asked you, they had just seen an, an Avalon demo and they said you know, you guys have got, uh, what are you guys going to do with Avalon? I mean, you're over here in the GDI world, and, you know, the Vista comes out. We have this whole new API for doing graphics. Um, how are you going to do that? Yeah, well, it's not going to be a problem. I mean, the, you know, as far as our components are concerned, everything in the, our component, in the component space, because whenever I'm talking to you guys, I'm always talking about Coders and Refactor, but right, that's right, one right. small part of Developer Express. We right. also have reporting tools, uh, object relational mapping tools, and uh, uh, a lot of great components. So basically the answer is, though, you've abstracted oh, that layer. Sorry, away. yeah, I didn't mean to go into marketing mode. There, no, no, but, no, what so I mean, <laughs> but what I meant to say is that the, 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 in the component world yeah. of Developer Express, the, uh, we've totally abstracted the painting layer. In, right. in other words, there's one class that does all the painting, right? So for, for anything that needs to paint itself, like it needs to paint in the upper left corner, bottom right, or do a line between whatever, it just makes a call. And this is what makes it so easy for us to add skinning technology to yeah. our components, which we already have, right? So you can just, and you can go right in there and you can, you, we, we even have this really cool skinning editor, which I don't know if we ship it or if it's free or what, what the deal is with it. But you can actually paint, essentially paint your skins for your controls. And now all your controls will have this new look and hmm. feel. Yeah. And I mean, the point you guess you were making is this technique, the way you've built this thing is applicable not only Code Rush and Refactor, but everything that DevExpress has been doing. Well, having things highly decoupled in general is good. Right. right, and and in the case of Avalon, we take our painter that's GDI centric and we swap it out with an Avalon centric painter, and we're done. Right, you know that's that's the value. Right, so there therein lies your argument with the agile guys who say don't uh, extend until you need it. Well, sort of. I mean, you know, to be I mean, to be honest, the you know we needed that first because you we knew needed, you needed it. The reason why is because our same controls can work on like uh, uh, can 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 work with the printing system to print out to HTML yeah. or or to print out to, uh, um, uh, to to print out to RTF uh, that sort of thing. And so to be able to render the same controls in these other worlds, we needed to do the same kind of thing. Right. Okay. So that's why we need it. We it's did. We did, we did need it. Um, you know, 
I mean, I mean, let's face it. You know, in development, there's a certain amount of good luck decisions, right? Thank God <laughs> we made that extensible. Right. And then we can look back and say, hey, yeah, you Agile guys, you're all wrong because we were thinking ahead back then, right? right, right, right of course, right. So the Agile defense to that is you knew you need it, so you do it. The main right. thing they're saying is don't build stuff you know you don't need. Yeah, well. They're just trying to squirm around a bit, trying well, not to be pinned underneath it, the- And I think there's a certain amount of that anyway. I mean, Agile was a, and I'm an advocate for Agile, but Agile was a response to this other development methods well, to fight against those which things. Is basically so, well, not- some of it, the opposite of Agile is a mess. The opposite <laughs> of Agile is a mess. Right. It's like, it's, it's basically, it seems to be more like a technique to stay employed for a long period of time than actually produce code. <laughs> right. Shipping would ruin my job. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm designing and designing and designing and designing. Because whatever we do, we don't actually want to deliver. We're going to have a lot of meetings. That would be bad. That sort of thing. Yeah, it's all about staying employed, right? (laughs) But, you know, I mean, you know, here's the thing, too. Sometimes every once in a while you you, you meet the developer who's got a sense of what the right thing to do is, right? What they want to do. You know, they want to refactor the code. They realize that things are kind of getting to be a mess. They want to fix things up. And then they say to me, you know, but my boss, you know, he just wants features. He's just, you know, this is all he says. And, And the... You know, I'm, I'm really convinced that the way we should be treating our source code and the way our co- the companies we work for should be treating our source code is the same way. They should be treating it as if it were a company asset, mm. okay? It is, so even if you're developing applications internally only for use inside the company, it's a company asset. And if developed correctly, you can use that to, as, a, as leverage against your competition. You can, you know, develop refactorings faster, like in our case because of our architecture. You can write your features faster than your competition. I mean, we're, right now we're at a stage. I said we're like at 44 refactorings. We're getting like about 10 in a month, it feels like. Okay? Wow. And, and, and that is amazing to me how fast these are. It's I mean, incredible, incredible pace. When I was demoing at the show, I saw refactorings up there you know, appearing on the screen that we were talking about last week on the news groups, just specking out. And they're there and working now. And I was surprised to see that. Wow. So it is, you know, right now it's just a matter of, uh, you know, okay, let's prioritize our ideas and start doing them. And, 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 and we have an architecture that gives us an extreme competitive advantage. That's the whole anybody, DX core is the, the key to all of it. Um, yeah, well, yes. It's, it's everything I talked about at the beginning, the component-based architecture, right? The wizard, all, those, right. all of this stuff so that if, if somebody wants to prototype an idea, they do it fast, and their prototype is actually the code base that we now finish. Right. Right? Um, so, uh, uh, and I, I believe that, that, that anybody can exploit what we've done. You know, in other words, anybody can can integrate this into your. You guys can integrate this into your own applications. You can figure out a way to make your architecture a competitive advantage against your competitors, right? And 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 you got to get management. In my opinion, you got to take steps to get management to understand that it is it is valuable. What you're doing is valuable to the company. It's an asset. It's worth investing. It's worth cleaning. Mm-hmm. You know, or it's maintaining. Up, maintaining. It's not just exactly. enough to run the machine it's, day and night. You, you, have to, you have to start the conversation with, I know of a way where we can make the company a lot more money than we're wake, making now. Yeah. You know, that, that'll get their attention. There's a certain amount of long-term, there's, there's long-term issues, right? I mean, when we started, we put a lot of investment into the DX core, right? At the expense of not having features of very not fast. not shipping a product. Right, really. I mean, actually, you're right, of not That's shipping right. a product. I think we were in development for, I want to say, like... a. Uh, uh, 1.3 years, I want to say. In other wow. words, not shipping, right? We just we, we, we wrote the whole thing from scratch, right? There was only one thing that we actually ported over from the Delphi product in terms of features. Hmm. So, uh, so that's what you were doing when you disappeared for a couple of years there. Yeah. Is building that core. Yeah, actually, we were in a, uh, we had uh, uh, three guys in an apartment in Las Vegas, and we were working about, you know, 16 hours a day because I was there, you know, yeah. you know, cracking the whip. Uh, and we just rotated guys in and out of the apartment. So, like, we'd have, like, you know, at any time there were, like, three guys in there. But there were, the team was bigger, but we'd bring people in, and they'd stay for, like, about three weeks. Uh, and if I ever did this kind of thing again, start from the scratch, I would do something very similar. I'd, but I'd probably get a house, a bigger house. Oh, yeah. And just say, okay, guys, come over here. You know, get some guys, you know, smart kids straight, straight out of college. And I would just, you know, get, you know, bring them up to speed. That basic focus model really does generate the most code. It does a pretty good job. When of you it. know exactly what you want to deliver, you know, the, yeah. you're downplaying this, but I know perfectly well, you know, the key to a lot of the successes here, you were the architect. You knew about what you well, that, wanted to get to. I knew I had a real clear picture in my head of what where you had to get to. Yeah. I think that's an incredibly powerful aspect of building software. Somebody has to know yeah, if you and don't know, evangelize you know, that yeah. destination. Yeah, well, that's true. If you don't know, you're, if you don't know, then that affects your leadership abilities, For right? Sure. People are like, well, uh, okay, and, and it doesn't move very fast. 
So, Mark, I know this about you, that you don't spend a lot of time reading books and white papers and stuff like this and, no. you know, doing all this. Um, print is dead, man. <laughs> Reading is dead, man. I'm glad I, I skipped second grade, and that's the best thing I ever did, man. All those squiggly lines, you guys. I mean, you know, the fonts are pretty, but anyway, go ahead. You had a question. I'm sorry. Anyway. So, but, but there are a few things um, that you've been keeping up with technology-wise in the, in the new .NET uh, space that are really, really exciting to you. I love Link. And, and Link is the first thing that comes to mind. So Link is awesome. For, no, for people who don't know what Link is going to be, because it isn't yet, let's, uh, let's talk about that. Okay, sure. Um, Link is, a, uh, uh, is actually a combination of technologies. It, it appears, L-I-N-Q. Yeah, L-I-N-Q. And, and what is, the heck does this thing stand for? It's, I don't remember what the L is, but wait, I think it's Language Integrated Query is what it is. That's what I believe it stands for. Um, uh, the billboard feature they show everybody is basically you can put SQL statements in code Treat it essentially just as code, get the type safety and all of that, and compile it. And, okay. and, and query against other things than... Other right, other actually, yeah, you can query against anything. Anything that's an, anything that's an I enumerable, uh, um, uh, the generic version of I enumerable, right. you can query against. Um, yeah, so it's pretty cool. It's, one of the coolest features, there are a couple... In fact, I find myself oscillating between what I think is the coolest feature of it. Now I think I'm on to extension methods. I think I like extension methods a lot. Um, it, I'll explain what they are. Yeah. Extension methods are, uh, well, let me actually explain the problem first, and then I'll say what, how extension methods help solve the problem. Sometimes, um, like in our, our case, we've got this core API, right? And sometimes in the, in the process of working with this, we, you know, you've got an object down there that supplies some services. Um, as an example, we've got a text document object, and it's got some services like, you know, position the, the, you know, give me a selection object back. That would be an example. Give me the selection so I can see where the selection is. Move the caret. Uh, uh, what else? Inserting text, inserting code. Right? That's an example of services provided by the text sure. document, right? Well, in the process of development, I might, you know, play with an idea in my head where I'm thinking of a new service I want to add to it. But I don't want to go right in and make change to it because I don't want to break everybody. Other people are compiling against this. So what I'll do is I'll create either within the plugin I'm working in or, or typically I'll create a second class that's essentially got these methods, these static methods. They're essentially helper methods, right? They yeah. take as the first parameter, they take the text document object. And the second one, they take whatever additional parameters, you know, whatever parameters are needed. Are there second, third, and fourth parameters needed? And then within there, they just operate on the text document. And then what happens is you develop that until you like it, and then you push it down inside text document, right? And then you, and you, everywhere you have that parameter, you take, remove the first parameter now, and then you replace it with this everywhere inside, or you just, you know, eliminate it. Mm. That's typically what happens as, as we, we, we add features, and we do this in a way so we don't break people. But now, what extension methods are? Extension methods are essentially the same thing, but they don't. Uh, uh, w when you make the call, you don't have to pass in the text document. Instead of passing text document as the first parameter, you just say text document dot new feature, and then open paren and put the pieces in. And what happens is, is the compiler resolves these extension methods, which exist in this other class, helper mm. class. And there's a way to declare it that says this is an extension method, and it extends text document. Kind of and this is part of link. Part of link. Really, because it seems very partial typish. It does seem very partial. -ish. Well, yeah, I don't partial know. I, I, I want to, yeah, it, basically, what it does is it allows you to create helper methods and call them as if they were native methods to the object. To the object, yeah. And 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 to me, now it does have uh, potential for abuse, right? Well, sure. But but for me, they're great because what they allow me to do now is have the feature available and broadcast it to everybody without actually changing the core. Right. So all I have to do is put this helper class in its own assembly and say, hey, anybody want to use this new feature? Try it out that I'm playing with. Take it. And I guarantee you in the next version 2.0, they'll be part of the product. Right. It seems odd that this is part of Link. It does. It, yeah, well, it sounds very much like a new C-sharp C, C 3 feature. Well, it's in the, it was one, one white paper I read, and it was in wow. the white paper, and the cover said Link. So There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, and, and the cool thing about it is that when you do go out to 2.0, the, the code doesn't change, right? But the only thing they have to do is remove like an imports or a using statement up at the top. Right. Right? And that's all they'd have to do. Mm. So it's, it's uh, from that standpoint, it's nice. It doesn't break code and allows you to introduce new features between builds or between, you know, important major builds. Another thing that I like about it are uh, uh, anonymous, uh, uh, anonymous types where you can create instances of, of things without having a class declared. So there's right. some cool stuff there. This is, you know, this is useful in situations where sometimes you just need a structure to kind of hold information, but you don't need anything else, and essentially temporary. Right. Um, mm. So I like that about it. It's got some neat stuff, and uh, the, the only thing that sucks is, is I can't ship with it. 
Right. Right. I can't use it now. It's available. I can use it. I can compile. And I actually uh, put in a question, you know, anonymously. I said, I got a friend, you know, the Microsoft guys. I said, I got a friend who likes this, this, this link stuff. And he noticed that when you compile, it compiles out to a .NET 2.0 frame, .NET 2.0 framework. And uh, he realized that you really couldn't tell that he was shipping with a compiled version of the link. So he wants to know if, if uh, he did this, would you come arrest me? <laughs> so I mean him, and it, yeah, Who? I mean him, someone, and yeah, the other guy, and uh, and they said uh, yes, we will, and uh, there are some assemblies it depends upon, and you can't do that, we'll find you. So what so. about the usefulness of the core feature, which is being able to search through object trees? It's sort of I like it. It's well, it, it sort of implies that uh, we're going to be having a lot more stuff in memory than we typically want to now. Oh, I don't you know. know. There's some implications like, for that. Well, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I, I mean, uh, like as opposed to what? You mean like having everything out in a database well, somewhere? No, no. Or I, I just mean as opposed to you know being just more efficient with uh, the the way that memory is is used. I mean, nobody loads an entire database into an object structure, uh, you know, for the purposes of uh, of speed, do they? Uh, you know, you're, we're entering an area where I am just not skilled enough to answer, you know, in this area that I'm not skilled enough to answer it for right. you. My gut feel, though, is that it's not going to be an issue. Yeah. Um, well, uh, and the point being, we have more memory, we have more horsepower these days, and we know what to do with anyway. Well, I, I just don't think it's going to be an issue, and the reason why is because I think it's going to be smarter you know, about the way it does things. I mean, it, I mean, if you have to load everything up anyway to do your search or to do, your, do, do whatever you're doing, you'd have then, to anyway. Then you got the problem anyway. But it sort of implies that it's a fi- it's a it's a new tool for an emerging architecture that's going to be more memory heavy. I don't. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't. I, I mean, here's the thing. What, what's neat about it to me. Is that it doesn't matter to me where my data is anymore. Yeah. No. Right? You know, it's, 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 I can deal with a list of, an ienumerable, a generic ienumerable implementer, or not implementer, but, but class that's in a, of the, uh, of that type, and a generic ienumerable, and I can go through it, I can, you know, query it, I can filter, I can build new collections based right. on it, I can even transfer objects from, you know, that and create new ones on the fly and, and, and then do things with those. Mm. And, and that to me is powerful manipulation yeah. of, of lists sure. of data. Sure. And, and then it, they, I'm the more the database guy here. And, and right. the thing that ju- jumps out about, to, about Link to me is it's set based handling, which we've been doing in databases forever, but for objects. For code, yeah. Inside of the code, we're getting to do set based behavior. So it's like, well, welcome. And actually, large <laughs> we've been set, here a long time. Large set behavior. Yeah. It's like, you know, in the, one of the things I missed, you know, from Pascal is they had the ability to do sets, but you were limited to, like, I want to say, like, uh, 32 or you know 255 elements or something like that. Yeah. Some limitation, right? You mm-hmm. couldn't, and and they were just like they weren't objects. They were just enums, right? And so to see if something's included in a set or not, that was you know easy in Pascal and hard in C sharp. But you know now with this stuff coming up, it was occurring to me that I could do the same thing that I was doing so easily in in the past, but do it with more power and uh, uh, be able to handle larger sets, no limitation on set size, uh, and and that to me was appealing as well. So. It's compelling stuff. I, I jump all over the database interaction things because I'm a database guy. So I look at things like having a list of items and being able to query them without having to load them to the database first. Yeah. We got a question. A question is, uh, do you plan to use object relational mapping? No, no, no. Do you no, plan, no. To use, plan to use Link in, with, the object, oh, link with, object, uh, with the object relational mapping tool that we have? I see. Um, my guess is we probably would, but I'm not, on, I'm not on that team and I have not heard any discussion on that. But... But when you look at it, it sure is compelling. Sure. And uh, in fact, my bet is what you're going to see is you're going to see uh, the code for that tool from us uh, uh, kind of kind of move its way so it's much more compatible so that when Link does ship, there'll be like no changes required. Doesn't Link to you seem like somebody thinking really hard about how do we make ORM a little less painful? Yeah, I think that's, more it. No, I think that's definitely part of it. But, you know, the other thing that's kind of cool is you can, you know, and this is another area that I'm like, you know, just a novice in, but, but SQL statements right in the code and the way this works and, the, and, the, and the, there's a flexibility here and, and, and uh, uh, that's, that's really, really cool. Um, the other thing that's neat about this, you know, we're talking about extension methods and stuff like that. The implementation of where and, and these other SQL uh, uh, keywords Clauses, yeah. is done with extension methods. Okay. Right. And it's mm. and it's and and it, it it's done with extension methods. And what's cool about that now is that if you want to override the behavior of where you can and just put it in your own method. Right. Because your if you have the same name, yours takes priority over the extension method. Or the one built in. Yeah. I, I you know, the thing that's interesting to me about Link is that there's a big chunk in there that really seems like language improvements in C sharp, 
as well as its database capabilities. Well, it, it, in fact, if you read through the spec, it says language providers are encouraged to do this. Right. Essentially, to allow you to do this in, in this, you know, be able to do the where and stuff. And, and, and the, if you go through the documentation, it actually shows you there are essentially three equivalent syntaxes for doing the exact same thing. Um, and, and, and one of the things that Link does is it uses uh, uh, um, anonymous methods. Sorry, I was going to say inline right. methods, but anonymous methods. It uses anonymous methods. Uh, and, and in general, anonymous methods are, are really good if the, the method is something simple, like returning S, the string, back out, which is useful if you want to do an order by or sorting, that sort of thing. I want to sort by S, right? You have some very simple code. You'll never maintain that, never change it. Mm. Um, as opposed to, in general, about anonymous methods, I'm, I'm pretty much anti-anonymous methods right. because <laughs> they are strong, strong indicators for abuse. Right. You know? And in fact, we're going to have a refactoring that takes an anonymous method and turns it into a real one so that you can maintain it. Right. You, know? you should just have an un. Uh, uh, What'd you yeah. say? Excuse a me? what? Uh, a refactoring, you know, un... Unscrew. Un, 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 unscrew? Is that what you said? Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. I was just checking. This is a whole new level of quality we're going to now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> I had to cop- catch myself. We're not alone in the studio, right? Yeah. So, right. Um, so yeah. Actually, I mean, there's two things that happen with anonymous methods that you might want to make them no longer anonymous. One of them is you want to maintain it. You realize, okay, I got to make changes to the code, and you know, I've ha- I, when I first came in here to fix this bug or to, to make the change, I couldn't find it. Right? I couldn't find the method because you know right, there was right, no right. method for it, and it was, it was right anonymous. down here in the middle of the code. Right? It was right. anonymous. Right? And then the other one is when you realize, oh, geez, I want to have the same thing and call it from another location. Right. Right. So anonymous methods strike me as, you know, they're just about the only thing appealing to them right now in 2.0 is that I can, if I've got something with a lot of parameters, I don't need any parameters, and I have just very little code, I can, I can use them. Uh, we have time for another question for Mark. Anything? Objects, programming, life, love, the other things? Yeah. I didn't understand. Have you or any other companies done studies on the productivity enhancements that your tools have brought? I know this is something, a topic very dear to you. You count keystrokes. Yeah, I do more than that. Yeah, um, as far as studies go, no. We, we, we haven't said, okay, let's get a whole bunch of developers in and, and watch them and see what the differences are. Um, uh, you know, for, from our standpoint, we're really, really trying, we're, we're approaching the ceiling in terms of how productive and efficient you can get. So we, I mean, we know we're doing the right thing. The the, the big problem with uh, uh, with CodeRush that needs that needs real uh, enhancement is discoverability. In other words, we, you know, as you approach making this, it really easy to use, make it easy to use, making it obvious, you know, so that when people, like for example, if you were to to do something, have the program be able to sense, hey, you've done this, you've typed in this 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 thread dot start call, you know, again and again and again. Right. Let's create something for you automatically, and now you just have to, you know, type in TS or whatever, and it will do it. Self-generation of templates. Well, yeah, that's kind of like built-in intelligence to make you a better programmer. Yeah, so with it's. The tools I mean, I mean the, that's part of what the next frontier is for us. I mean, um, uh, I, I will say that in directly related to your question, in the uh, Coders for Delphi product, we had a feature that tracked stats while you worked. So it got a sense of how much you were using and exploiting the product. That, net feed, that information was never brought back to us, but it was relayed through stories. You know, people would come up and say, well, okay. And, and the way it would work, like, for example, every time you made a mistake, you know, or, well, let me rephrase. Every time you made a mistake, it would, it would, it would, it would count that. And a mistake was counted as, as you pressing delete or backspace. So either of those two keys, so it would count, keep track of those. So it would also keep track of how fast you were normally typing. And then it would keep track of how much it's expanded for you through templates and other features that you used. Keystrokes um, you didn't need to make. That sort of thing, exactly. Right. And so it would track all of that. And based on that, based on your, uh, your, based on your typing rate and the number of mistakes you make versus you know, what the templates, templates there, there aren't mistakes with the templates, um, uh, it would then have a projected time of how much was saved. And so we would have people come up to us and say, you know, okay, well, uh, or how, projected time of what it would take in you to do it, right? And so I'd have people come up to me and say, uh, uh, yeah, you know, that's, that, that statistics panel is great. And, uh, you know, it only took me like five hours to do it, but, but I'm billing at the other time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they basically admit that they're billing at the longer time that it would have taken. And you haven't put this without, into the, right? the .NET version? No, not oh, yet. Oh, bring it back, well, man. That's it's, awesome. It's not the highest priority right now. But it's, <laughs> it is, you know, it, 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 it's something we are interested in. Um, we would love to be able to have some, some data on, on what features our customers are using. Uh, and so that we can figure out what things we need to make more discoverable. Um, so I think that's, that's part of a little, big part of the future. 
Um, and, uh, uh, and then there are other things, too, that are going to be very, very cool as well in the next two years. But I don't think I should really say too much about them. Um, but they're going to be very cool for developers, in my opinion. Very I think cool. it's, the future is going to be really good. Is there another question over here? Yeah. Yeah. Mark mentioned a book. Oh, right. There's a book that I, in my presentation on good design, you want that, that book name again? Um, the book is called uh, Visual Explanations, Images and Quantities, Evidence and Narrative. And the ISBN number is 096-139-2126. Edward Tufte is a genius. Okay. <laughs> I have never found anything written by Edward Tufte that wasn't worth reading. Yeah, he's got a lot of good stuff, but there's one in particular that just, to me, just totally stands out for a lot of the work that we do. How do you right. spell his last name? T-U-F-T-E. Cool. Any other questions? Yeah. Is Rory Blythe around today? No, Rory's in Portland. He's uh, uh, actually contemplating writing a book from his blog posts. So, uh, but we did see him in Atlanta. He came into Atlanta while we were doing the show and sat in on the show. And we, when we recorded the Atlanta show, he was one of the guests. And right. we all had a good time together. That was, Atlanta was very fun because we had all the co-hosts together at once. Uh, there was, uh, and it was a convergence, really. Another right. question. Why is it that Microsoft never seems to take the UI to the degree that you have taken it? Right. No, I understand. I understand what you're saying. Um, I've actually had this question a couple times um, at the booth. Um, you know, and of course, I can only do speculation. I think part of the problem is, is they have to essentially stop writing about six to seven months before they ship. Okay. In other words, there's no new features during that time. Um, so, you know, as a result, I mean, you know, not to be a cynic, but you could say that what we're buying is old technology, right? Um, there is a, uh, uh, I think there's, um, I think there's also a... Uh, As it relates to space and time, anyway. Well, yeah. there you go. So I, I think there's also kind of a, 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 a satisfied, good enough kind of feel to it. Microsoft doesn't have to worry about other competitors that are writing components as well. They don't have to worry about those kinds of things that much, I think. So they get it to a point where they feel that they're satisfied with it. Uh, you know, they're at that, they're approaching that time crunch. And then you've got some, you know, the question of, okay, well, hey, I've got a great idea. You know, does it go in or not? Now, having said that, though, I would like to point out that the Visual Studio 2005 design time experience, where you're dragging the control around, you've got the, the little snap two grids. Yeah. That is, in my opinion, pushed to the, to the limit. That is a very good design. Um, uh, it's a, Go ahead. Do you want I mean, to the other element would be code snippets. I mean, there are pieces of code rushy behavior being added into to Whidbey into Studio 2005. Yeah, damn them. But, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, the biggest problem for us is, on that is like, okay, somebody says, well, what's the difference? And uh, your answer is mine is better. Well, yeah, you know, mine doesn't suck. And, you know, but I mean, it's not like there sucks, but, I, you know, it's, you know, there's an emotional component to that, I suppose, eh, that, yeah, that well, influences that answer. But, but, you know, the, the, uh, to me, that part is frustrating, right? Because for us, you know, this is, this is, you know, after 10 years of development to, to you know, fine tune these kinds of things, right? right? These templates, we, um, we or I have been working on these, you know, and refining this to make them as optimal as possible. For like ten years, and then uh, and then now the standard is you know something that's not as good, right? right. And so it's a little frustrating to me, but you know, uh, um, but to me, I still believe it stands on its own. In other words, if you if you just look at them and watch them, you don't have to ask the question. But you know, the, the literal answer is is that well, uh, the snippets that are inside Visual Studio are great if you want to do a how to thing. Right? How do I you know make this control do this kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, there's a lot of complete. That stuff is great. And that's not what our focus is. Our focus is we assume you know how. Now we're going to help you get there faster. You know, right. How do you write that and do those pieces? So we've totally optimized that side of things. Um, I mean, you know, bottom line, the bottom line, the most important thing is, is that our lives, you know, what we do is, is fun and efficient and productive. And so if, you know, if Microsoft does that, like they did a great job on the designer, I really, um, uh, you know, not only is the designer good, but fun the is a keyword here, right? I showed yeah. the, I showed the reorder parameters demo on the, on the road trip. Right. And some guy said, and he had this look on his face. He said, when, why would you ever do that? And I said, cause it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Come on. I mean, we're writing this, you know, we're writing code. We're slogging through code a lot of times when we wish we could be playing doom. Anything that, you know, we can be more efficient, more effective, and it's fun, 
is good stuff. Keeps us engaged. But it's really a, important. This, there is legitimate reasons to reorder parameters of course there besides is. entertaining yourself. Well, yeah, of course well, there is. The, if I may make the observation, if the interface you're working with doesn't impose drudgery, that right. to some degree can be fun. Yeah, In sure. other words, if you're very fast and very right. productive, and what you think comes out, as you start approaching that point where you can think of something and it just starts flowing on the, on the, on the code, right. the code starts flowing out and you're doing that, that yeah. is a thrilling experience. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what our future is. That's where, in my opinion, that's where, where, where we're headed. Very cool. Okay, well, uh, Mark, one last uh, thing. Any, any last-minute words you want to say before we get out of here and get something to eat? No, I'm, I'm, I have nothing to plug, man. You're done. <laughs> I, I you got, got nothing. nothing. I got nothing. nothing. I can't think of anything. I, All right, well, good, I would very much like... I was site the other day, but I'm, I can't remember the name. I, can't. <laughs> I would very much like to thank Mark Miller and all the audience for sticking with us. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week with a normal episode of Dotnet. Dotnet Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com/dotnetrocks. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl never sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Yes, I'm a toy boy. Life is hard.